This is the number one showbiz podcast. It's Talk for Two. Here's your host, Matt Bailey. Thank you, Gary. Welcome back, everybody, to Talk for Two. Really, really excited about our guest today, the voice actor, the the venerable screen actor, Mr. Chris Parnell. I had such fun talking to him months ago. The saga of getting this show back up and running has been really interesting. As you know, we shut down in February because my laptop decided to start to overheat while I was editing things. And then my board gave out, and it took me a little bit of time to replace the board. I had to focus on some other projects, but we are back at it. We talk for two, and I'm so excited to be back with Chris Parnell. This was a really, really, really fun one. I'm really excited. I love everything this man does. I know that he's on Family Guy. Of course, he's the dad on Rick and Morty. He is Cyril on Archer. He's Leo Spichemin on 30 Rock. This man and his voice, it's just, he's just done a million and five things. And I was so thrilled when I found out he was interested in sitting down with me. Again, the interview was a little while ago. I don't really remember exactly what we talked about, but I know we had fun. I remember a lot of laughs and a lot of honesty from Chris on how his career started, how he's ended up where he is, and and how the roles kind of keep finding him and, and his unique niche. Chris has one of those voices that if it's a Chris Parnell role, you know by the voice. So here now to tell us all about his career, our interview with Chris Parnell. Chris Parnell, one of the most recognizable voices, recognizable actors. How are you, sir? Thank you very much for being here. Thanks for having me, Matt. I'm, I'm well, thanks. Now, I know it's what people may not know, I want to start with your upbringing, is that your father was actually a broadcaster. And given how rich your voice is, the, the apple doesn't uh, fall too far from the tree. Was he one of your inspirations for wanting to get into entertainment? Yeah, I mean, I think he probably was on, you know, on some level, but he was, you know, he was never really an actor. He was mm-hmm. a disc jockey and a, um, you know, music guy and produced commercials and things like that. But he would bring me and my sister in sometimes if he needed a kid in a, in a, radio commercial or something to, to get us to play the part. So I, I guess that's kind of how it started. But um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know that, I don't know if there was a direct line from that to me wanting to be an actor. Um, mm-hmm. But it was, it, it was, it took a long time even after I was, you know, had a little success as an actor to get into the voiceover side of things. That was, that was actually even harder to break into. Is it something you wanted to break into or is it something you fell into from the success of, of your acting with SNL and some of the other projects that you've done? Oh, no, no. It was definitely something I wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, it, it wasn't until I got on SNL that I sort of had enough whatever that, you know, it was easy to get signed with a voiceover agent. Um, you know, they're, they're much more likely to listen to a cast member from SNL than they are to just a random actor out there, so... That, that's kind of what turned it around for me. Going back a little bit to the beginning of your career, I was reading, it was about a year where you, you'd you known that you wanted to be an actor for since you were 17. There was about a year where you were disillusioned at it, maybe thought it was impractical, and went to teach high school for a year. Uh, what was that like, and what did you teach? 
Well, it was uh, it was very hard um, being a teacher because I was I was in my mid twenties. You know, I wasn't uh, I wasn't ready to be an authority figure at all, or pretend to be, or try to be. But um, I taught introduction to film and video and introduction to theater. Um, or int- I guess I don't know if it was introduction to theater, or introduction to acting. But they were classes that I had taken at the same school when I had been a student there. Um, and I was working under Frank Bluestein, who had been my mentor and who's the one that sort of gave me the confidence or the encouragement and confidence to, to feel like I could, you know, pursue an acting career and uh, maybe make something of it, you know. Mm-hmm. But well, being a teacher was being a teacher was hard. It was uh, it, I was I, I have a lot more respect for teachers that just take such a giving generous uh personality i think and uh and, and i i think i'm that way with my friends and family but i, I and you know it was i got to work with the uh, the students who were involved in the theater department and the tv studio there after you know school was over and actually during one of the classes um called production workshop and so those all of those kids were almost all of them were very into it. And they really wanted to be there and they really wanted to be doing the TV stuff and the theater stuff and they cared about it. And so all of that was great because they were just, that's what I had done when I was there. So, so interacting with them and, you know, not having to give them tests or assignments or things like that, that was, it was just more of a supervisory thing, but I loved all of that. So just being a straight up teacher was, was pretty hard. <laughs> oh yeah. I can, I have such respect for teachers. You, you have to juggle a lot of things, but you get back into it, found the success that you found. I want to fast forward to today, all of the voice work that you do. Obviously, SNL was a big part. Like you said, you were allowed to, that gave you name recognition that you wanted to get into it. Why did you want to become a voice actor after having done sketch comedy for so long? Um, well, it's something I, I felt pretty confident that I could do well at. Um and also just, you know, I, I also just wanted to do commercials, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that was really how it started was just doing, you know, commercial jobs. Um, and kind of from that, I guess, sprang the, you know, the animation voices and, and things like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and that's where I think it does get back to my, my dad and, and him being involved in that side of the business and, uh, you know, wanting wanting to follow in his footsteps at least somewhat you know in, in that regard mm-hmm. well, your voice is very unique everybody recognizes it everybody recognizes your face too and i mean that in a great way you're you have one of those recognizable rubber faces for comedy with your voice though specifically being from memphis where was your father from i mean I, your voice is one in a million have you ever kind of tried to trace the lineage of why it's so rich and and unique well you know my, my dad voice is even richer and more unique um but uh it's you know he he's from rural tennessee he's from he's from uh neboville actually was it was the name of the town where he was born i don't even know if that is officially an incorporated city or not but um <laughs> his my grandparents and even my mom's parents were uh in and around Milan, tennessee but uh, you know and so i grew up obviously listening to his voice he worked really hard to not have a southern uh dialect um so he could sound like a you know a real 
disc jockey wasn't limited by an accent, you know, and he, he worked on that from very early on. Um, and so as long as I knew him, that, that wasn't a thing. That wasn't an issue. I had to do the same thing when I went to college to theater school to try to get rid of my Southern dialect so that, you know, I wouldn't be limited by it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the irony, or I know there's an irony, uh, I'm, I'm actually adopted. And uh, so the fact that we both have these voices is just, <laughs> you know, I don't know if it's, it must be some nurture involved there, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I, and I have no idea what, you know, the story of my birth parents are. So, wow. yeah. So interesting. It's so interesting. You know, you are known for not breaking character. They, you are just stone-faced all the way during the iconic cowbell sketch you didn't break. Uh, they, you're known for doing really, really well behind the microphone, not breaking character in your voiceover roles. Tim Conway was like that in a lot of ways. I was reading about you, and I, I can compare you to him in, in that way. Is that a learned thing to not break character, or is it just innate? Because I'll tell you, when I was an actor, I went to performing arts high school. I was the worst. I thought I'd be able to stay in it, but, I mean, everything set me off, no matter how many times we did it. How do you avoid breaking character? Well, you know... I... You know, the good side of it is that I guess the most positive way of looking at it is I just I just try to be in the moment as that character, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, not that I'm Daniel Day Lewis, (laughs) stretch the imagination. But I, you know, I I I, I try to just see it as though that character would see it. And and if I'm breaking, then that means I'm kind of not there in that scene, you know, as that character. Now, for Saturday Night Live and for a lot of things, I mean, I. I, in some ways, I wish I didn't take myself and things quite so seriously and uh, would have sort of had that that freedom in a way to, 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 to maybe have just a, a little more fun in the moment with that. Not that it wasn't fun. I loved doing it. And I and I was proud of not breaking. But, um, you know, you can tell that Jimmy and Horatio were having a lot of fun. <laughs> and, um I, I don't know. It was just, I guess it was a point of pride for me, you know, like I'm not going to break. I'm, I'm an actor. I'm going to stay in the moment and stay in the scene. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take the audience out of it by laughing at it. So yeah. I guess that was my thinking. No, I, I can understand that. You know, my favorite show, I have two favorite shows that you do. It's Archer and Rick and Morty. And I want to start with Archer. Did you audition for that role? Was it offered to you? And and what did you think about Archer when you when you heard the premise? Because it's it's so unique, and uh, but it works. Yeah, I you know I, I my memory of how it began for me was that I auditioned for a part in the pilot, other than Cyril, mm-hmm. um, and didn't get that part. And um, I, I think it was you know it was like a guest star part. Um, maybe the uh, Russian interrogator or somebody, or I, I, I don't even remember. But then the way that I remembered anyway is that a, a period of time passed, and then they just came back to me with the offer of Cyril. Um, and, you know, I thought, oh, great, awesome. And they were all actually, you know, paying above scale, which was really nice. I mean, FX, I, I got I to gotta give them a shout-out. They have always treated their cast so well, mm-hmm. um, or at least our, the Archer cast. I mean, just amazing. They've always, they've always been, um, 
I don't know, just generous. You know, they they paid us in a way that made us feel like, oh wow, this thing we're appreciated here. You know, they're not trying to squeeze every penny out of us they can. Yeah. Um. So I I don't remember reading the first script. Um. But you know, I liked it and I thought it was funny. And um. You know, you, you never in your wildest dreams it's gonna imagine it's gonna go for twelve seasons and hopefully more. You know, but um, that has been the case, and I'm so thankful it has. Well. It's funny you mention FX and, and how great they are. I have to ask, and you can decline to answer this. Um, when Disney came in and bought up Fox and FX, were there any major changes in terms of how the show was perceived, or was Disney really good about letting the adult-oriented programming stay adult-oriented programming? As far as I know, it was the, it was that, is what you just described. I mean, I don't feel like... I mean, the only big change that's happened with Archer is we were able to find some other great writers who could take over for Adam Reed, but that happened even before the, the Disney move. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and since they've taken over, I still I still feel like, you know, the FX folks are the ones who are overseeing it, you know, in addition to obviously everybody at Floyd County who makes the, who makes Archer. Um, but no, I haven't felt, you know, if something might have gone on behind the scenes, I'm sure things have that I'm completely unaware of, but right. uh, I haven't felt their hand in nudging the show one way or the other, anything like that. That's great. And I just have had a a writing question about your character that I've always wondered because I know there's usually some funny story about different character traits. How did Cyril end up, it's a little adult question here, but how did Cyril end up with a gigantic penis and that becoming a part of like the storylines because it's, it's always interesting when you see these characters and I, I know there has to be some kind of story there. Am I right? Uh, you know, if there is, I've never heard it. Really? I, I imagine it was about, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, to, to me, I imagine it was kind of like, uh, Oh, we should get Cyril a big penis, you know, um, <laughs> that kind of thing. And that would be funny. And, that will make him more of a challenge to Archer, you know. It's like he's got this extra tool in his pocket, so to speak, yeah. and uh, that you know might might make it might might justify why Lana or somebody else was you know would take a, a, a more of an interest in him. That, that that's just me guessing. I honestly have never been no that privy makes sense. To any sort of that makes sense because he's such the yeah. punchline half the time that it's like, well, he can yeah. he has a trump card. You just you hear about it, you never see it. So it's it's exactly. those character things are always are always interesting to me. And then of course something that I once I saw it, I fell down a, a an interdimensional portal watching all the episodes. Rick and Morty. You know, it sounds like such a cliche question, yeah. but when you guys got together with 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 Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland, did you have a sense that it was going to blow up? in the way that it has blown up? Because talk about a cultural phenomenon. I mean, my goodness. I know, I know. Um, the answer is no, I didn't I didn't have an idea. Um, I mean, it, it, the process for it to actually get rolling was so slow. I mean, probably no slower than any animated thing. But, mm-hmm. you know, I felt like we recorded the pilot quite a while ago. Uh, and they had to do some recasting uh, a little bit and uh, and then we had to record again and it just but it just took quite a span of time and then it had to be animated and uh, yeah no you don't know I mean the only the only inkling that I had that it was going to be successful was when we 
just got these fantastic numbers right out of the gate and which I only knew about because my manager let me know, you know, she's like, you, you guys did really well, you know, and people are really into it. And then we went to Comic-Con um, that next year and, you know, to see the response there in the room, it was the same with Archer, just seeing how many people love the show uh, and you get to, you know, physically see them with your eyeballs and, mm-hmm. you know, know that it's, it's a real thing. You're not just, not just something you're hearing about, but you can actually see how enthusiastic the fans are and, that's you know that's pretty gratifying. Do you have any inkling why it stuck? I mean, it's it's such an out there show, but it's it's everywhere now. Do you know why people just love it? If you could pinpoint it to one thing. Well, you know, I, th- I think I think it's I think it's the writing, um, which is what it comes down to for most things. But then Justin, you know, I mean, well, then just it's it's a combination of Justin and Dan's sensibilities, I think, that make it what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin is just such an amazing uh, voiceover guy and, 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 and improviser and has such great ideas. Um, and then Dan is, uh, and I'm not saying Justin's not, but Dan is so good at story and what things need to happen here and there. And this is just me gleaning it from the, you know, the sessions that they've directed. Um, and, you know, I think they've got this, you got, you know, you got this crazy character, Rick, who's, who's kind of awful, but you know, is, also lovable in his awfulness um and this relationship with morty and in and, and the then the family you know the summer and beth and, and jerry which helps ground it a little bit in you know in a, it's a family you know as weird as it is and as dysfunctional as it is it's still a family and so i think that also helps people to connect and have uh, a little bit more of an investment in it they might than they might if we were just you know just crazy scientist and his, and his grandson roaming the universe. Um, but it's just, you know, it's just, it's just brilliantly written. I mean, it's just so creative and the stuff they come up with is just out there and they spend so much time, you know, crafting these stories and, you know, making, making sure they're, they're at a certain level, you know, before they, before they send it out. Yeah. I think that makes all the difference. I absolutely agree. And you have done, so many different things. Normally voice actors stay in voice acting. Normally actors, they'll voice as a guest, but it doesn't become a large part of their career. You've done regular film, regular television, sketch comedy, voice acting. What What is the hardest form of the art form of acting to you? The hardest. Uh... And why? The most challenging. I don't know. I mean, I think anything on camera is going to be harder than voiceover um, just because you have to worry about what your face is doing and your body's doing. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to worry about that in voiceover, obviously. So that's automatically harder. Um, and then, I, you know, it just depends on the project and it depends on how how comfortable I feel with the people that are leading the project, with the director, with the writing and all of that. And if that's all solid and that's all good and, and, and you feel comfortable with a director who you feel appreciated by and, and, and knows how to direct, um, that, you know, that makes everything obviously so much better. And they can, they add to your performance. You know, they give you directions, notes, ideas and things that can help you take it to some place you might not have thought of. Um, and then also just, you know, given that almost everything I do is comedy, you know, there's also all this room for, for input and, you know, in 
dialogue, improvised lines, but lines that are thrown out from the from uh, Video Village, and and then you know room for me to you know come in with some things if I, if, if I'm able to to add to it. Um, the hardest thing I think I've ever done acting wise was doing this this movie, The, the Grand, um, that Zach Penn, you know, wrote and directed, even though it was mostly improvised, but he created the framework for it and everything. And in the sort of climactic scene of the movie, there's this big poker game, and I had to learn to play poker for the movie. I'd never played it before and because they wanted us to. And then even though all the other games and things leading up to the final tournament game were, you know, planned and staged and all that. But the final game was actually a real poker game that we were playing as a cast against each other. Now they had, I found out later, they had decks of cards that were already arranged to make it go one way or the other if they needed it to. Um, But they didn't. And just, I don't know, just, just, yeah, trying to play poker for real, which I'm, it's, Poker is something that lives at this intersection of logic and instinct that I just, it's very hard for me to bridge. I just <laughs> like the idea of bluffing and trying to fool people. And like, I, it's so, I, I, I have no jo- joy in playing poker. So I don't, but um, obviously I know a lot of people that do. Uh, but doing that on camera, you know, with it, with it happening in the moment and just trying to play as well as I could, because my character was supposed to be a poker genius. Um, so that I, you know, I didn't just to support the character even, you know, but I also didn't have a lot of, I also didn't come up with a lot of, you know, improvised lines and things during that poker game because I was so focused and so concentrated. So that was, that was very challenging. Every time, whenever I tell that around Zach, he always feels bad, but I was like, (laughs) don't feel bad. I'm just, you know, that's what it was. Love that. Speaking of the voice acting, I guess we'll end, we'll end on, on this topic because it brings it up to today. Have you been able to uh, lock yourself in a closet and do some roles from home? How has uh, your work changed since the pandemic? Well, as soon as it, you know, it became apparent that there was going to be some recording from home going on. Um, I got my dad's old mic. He's retired. I I got his, he had a great microphone. And uh, so I took that. He let me have that. And, uh, and I, I just upgraded some things in my little studio. Um, and then we just, my, my wife and our two sons just moved back in December and I decided to go ahead and invest in a real booth. Um, you know, more, not really soundproof, but more or less soundproof booth and, um, set up everything in there. So that's, uh, I've only actually think done one or two sessions from inside there since we've moved, but, uh, it, it's, you know, it's been nice to be able to do it from home, but anytime I'm given the opportunity to go out into a studio and record, I much prefer doing that because, you know, then the engineer can just focus on all the technical stuff and I can just focus on, you know, the performance. Um, and also it's just nice to get out of the house. So. so I assume the most recent season of Archer was filmed before everything began because of the long lead times on the animation. Uh, so uh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're 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 recording season twelve now. Um, but I don't, I, I don't, I don't remember that the pandemic has factored into that. It, it might have in one script, but I'm, I don't honestly remember. Right. Um, we're almost. I think we're almost done with recording season twelve. Thank you so much, Chris. I really enjoyed talking with you. 
it'll be interesting to see. I wanted, I do want to note this was recorded before Jessica Walter passed away, so we didn't get a chance to talk about how that would affect season 12 or maybe even season 13 if season 12 is in the can of Archer going forward. I know they record well in advance of the air date, so wanted to clarify that for those of you who might be wondering. That is it for us today. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Talk for Two, at Talk for Two Pod on Instagram. You can also email me at T A L K F O R T W O C A S T at gmail.com. And you can go to T A L K F O R T W O.com. That is our mothership. That is where everything is. You can subscribe at Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever. You get your podcasts. Signing off, I'm Matt Bailey, reminding all of you to keep talking for two. You can hear more show business interviews with the stars at talkfor2.com. This is the number one showbiz podcast. It's Talk for Two. Here's your host, Matt Bailey. Thank you, Gary. Welcome back, everybody, to Talk for Two. Really, really excited about our guest today, the voice actor, the the venerable screen actor, Mr. Chris Parnell. I had such fun talking to him months ago. The saga of getting this show back up and running has been really interesting. As you know, we shut down in February because my laptop decided to start to overheat while I was editing things. And then my board gave out, and it took me a little bit of time to replace the board. I had to focus on some other projects, but we are back at it. We talked for two, and I'm so excited to be back with Chris Parnell. This was a really, really, really fun one. I'm really excited. I love everything this man does. I know that he's on Family Guy. Of course, he's the dad on Rick and Morty. He is Cyril on Archer. He's Leo Spichemin on 30 Rock. This man and his voice, it's just, he's just done a million and five things. And I was so thrilled when I found out he was interested in sitting down with me. Again, the interview was a little while ago. I don't really remember exactly what we talked about, but I know we had fun. I remember a lot of laughs and a lot of honesty from Chris on how his career started, how he's ended up where he is, and, and how the roles kind of keep finding him and, and his unique niche. Chris has one of those voices that if it's a Chris Parnell role, you know by the voice. So here now to tell us all about his career, our interview with Chris Parnell. Chris Parnell, one of the most recognizable voices, recognizable actors. How are you, sir? Thank you very much for being here. Thanks for having me, Matt. I'm, I'm well, thanks. Now, I know it's what people may not know, I want to start with your upbringing, is that your father was actually a broadcaster. And given how rich your voice is, the the apple doesn't uh, fall too far from the tree. Was he one of your inspirations for wanting to get into entertainment? Yeah, I mean, I think he probably was, on, you know, on some level. But he was, you know, he was never really an actor. He was mm -hmm. a disc jockey and a, um, you know, music guy and produced commercials and things like that. But he would bring me and my sister in sometimes if he needed a kid in a, in a 
radio commercial or something to, to get us to play the part. So I, I guess that's kind of how it started. But um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't I don't know that I don't know if there was a direct line from that to me wanting to be an actor. Um, mm-hmm. But it was it, it was it took a long time even after I was you know had a little success as an actor to get into the voiceover side of things. That was that was actually even harder to break into. Is it something you wanted to break into, or is it something you fell into from the success of, of your acting with SNL and some of the other projects that you've done? Oh no, no, it was definitely something I wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, I uh, it, it wasn't until I got on SNL that I sort of had enough whatever that you know it was easy to get signed with a voiceover agent. Um, you know, they're, they're much more likely to listen to a cast member from SNL than they are to just a random actor out there. So. That, that's kind of what turned it around for me. Going back a little bit to the beginning of your career, I was reading, it was about a year where you, you'd known that you wanted to be an actor for since you were 17. There was about a year where you were disillusioned at it, maybe you thought it was impractical, and went to teach high school for a year. Uh, what was that like, and what did you teach? Well, it was, uh, it was very hard um, being a teacher because I was... I was in my mid twenties, you know, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't ready to be an authority figure at all or pretend to be or try to be. But, um, I taught introduction to film and video and introduction to theater. Um, or int- I guess I don't know if it was introduction to theater, or introduction to acting, but they were classes that I had taken at the same school when I had been a student there. Um, and I was working under Frank Bluestein, who had been my mentor and, was the one that sort of gave me the confidence or the encouragement and confidence to, to feel like I could, you know, pursue an acting career and uh, maybe make something of it, you know. Mm-hmm. But well, being a teacher was being a teacher was hard. It was uh, it, I was I, I have a lot more respect for teachers. They just take such a giving, <laughs> generous uh, personality, I think, and a. And, and I, I think I'm that way with my friends and family, but I, and, you know, it was, I got to work with the, uh, the students who were involved in the theater department and the TV studio there after, you know, school was over and actually during one of the classes um, called production workshop. And so those, all of those kids were almost all of them were very into it. And they really wanted to be there and they really wanted to be doing the TV stuff and the theater stuff and, they cared about it. And so all of that was great because they were just, that's what I had done when I was there. So, so interacting with them and, you know, not having to give them tests or assignments or things like that, that was, it was just more of a supervisory thing, but I loved all of that. But just being a straight up teacher was, was pretty hard. <laughs> oh yeah. I can, I have such respect for teachers. You, you have to juggle a lot of things, but you get back into it, found the success that you found. I want to fast forward to today, all of the voice work that you do, obviously SNL was a big part. Like you said, you were allowed to, that gave you name recognition that you wanted to get into it. Why did you want to become a voice actor act after having done sketch comedy for so long? Um, well, it's something I, I felt pretty confident that I could do well at. Um, and also just, you know, I, I, I also just wanted to do commercials, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that was really how it started was just doing, you know, commercial jobs. Um, and kind of from that, I guess, sprang the, you know, the animation voices and, and things like that. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, and, and that's where I think it does get back to my, my dad and, and him being involved in that side of the business and, uh, you know, wanting, wanting to follow in his footsteps, at least somewhat, you know, in, in that regard. Mm-hmm. Well, your voice is very unique. Everybody recognizes it. Everybody recognizes your face too. And I mean that in a great way. You're, you have one of those recognizable rubber faces for comedy. With your voice, though, specifically, being from Memphis, where was your father from? I mean, I, your voice is one in a million. Have you ever kind of tried to trace the lineage of why it's so rich and, and unique? Well, you know, my, my dad's voice is even richer and more unique. Um, but uh, it's, you know, he, he's from rural Tennessee. He's from he's from uh, Neboville, actually, was, was the name of the town where he was born. I don't even know if that is officially an incorporated city or not. But um, <laughs> his my grandparents and even my mom's parents were uh, in and around Milan, Tennessee. But, uh, you know, and so I grew up, obviously, listening to his voice. He worked really hard to not have a southern uh, dialect um, so he could sound like a, you know, a real this jockey wasn't limited by an accent, you know, and he, he worked on that from very early on. Um, and so as long as I knew him, that, that wasn't a thing. That wasn't an issue. I had to do the same thing when I went to college to theater school to try to get rid of my Southern dialect so that, you know, I wouldn't be limited by it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the irony, or I know there's an irony, uh, I'm, I'm actually adopted and, uh, so the fact that we both have these voices is just, you know, I don't know if it's, it must be some nurture involved there, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I, and I have no idea what, you know, the story of my birth parents are. So, wow. yeah. So interesting. It's so interesting. You know, you are known for not breaking character. They, you are just stone faced all the way during the iconic cowbell sketch. You didn't break. Uh, they, you're known for doing really, really well behind the microphone, not breaking character in your voiceover roles. Tim Conway was like that in a lot of ways. I was reading about you, and I, I can compare you to him in, in that way. Is that a learned thing to not break character, or is it just innate? Because I'll tell you, when I was an actor, I went to performing arts high school. I was the worst. I thought I'd be able to stay in it, but, I mean, everything set me off, no matter how many times we did it. How do you avoid breaking character? <laughs> Well, you know, you know, the good side of it is that I guess the most positive way of looking at it is I just I just try to be in the moment as that character, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, not that I'm Daniel Day Lewis, stretched the imagination. But I, you know, I I uh, I try to just see it as though that character would see it. And and if I'm breaking, then that means I'm kind of not there in that scene, you know, as that character. Now, for Saturday Night Live and for a lot of things, I mean, I, I, in some ways, I wish I didn't take myself and things quite so seriously and uh, would have sort of had that, that freedom in a way to, 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 to maybe have just a, a little more fun in the moment with that. Not that it wasn't fun. I loved doing it, and I, and I was proud of not breaking. But, um, you know, you can tell that Jimmy and Horatio were having a lot of fun. And, um I, I don't know. It was just, I guess it was a point of pride for me, you know, like I'm not going to break. I'm, I'm an actor. I'm going to stay in the moment and stay in the scene. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take the audience out of it by laughing at it. So yeah. I guess that was my thinking. 
No, I, I can understand that. You know, my favorite show, I have two favorite shows that you do. It's Archer and Rick and Morty. And I want to start with Archer. Did you audition for that role? Was it offered to you? And, and what did you think about Archer when you when you heard the premise? Because it's, it's so unique, and uh, but it works. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, my memory of how it began for me was that I auditioned for a part in the pilot other than Cyril mm-hmm. um, and didn't get that part. And um, I, I think it was, you know, it was like a guest star part, um, maybe the uh, Russian interrogator or somebody, or I, I, I don't even remember. But then the way that I remembered anyway, is that a period of time passed and then they just came back to me with the offer of Cyril. Um, and, you know, I thought, Oh, great. Awesome. And they were all actually, you know, paying above scale, which was really nice. I mean, FX, I got I got to give them a shout out. They have always treated their cast so well, mm-hmm. um, or at least our, the Archer cast. I mean, just amazing. They've always, they've always been, um, I don't know, just generous. You know, they've, they've paid us in a way that made us feel like, oh, wow, this thing, we're appreciated here. You know, they're not trying to squeeze every penny out of us they can. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't remember reading the first script, um, but, you know, I liked it and I thought it was funny. And, um, you know, you, you never in your wildest dreams, it's going to imagine it's going to go for 12 seasons and hopefully more, you know, but um, that has been the case. And I'm so thankful it has. Well, it's funny you mention FX and, and how great they are. I have to ask, and you can decline to answer this. Um, when Disney came in and bought up Fox and FX, were there any major changes in terms of how the show was perceived, or was Disney really good about letting the adult-oriented programming stay adult-oriented programming? As far as I know, it was, the, it was that, is what you just described. I mean, I don't feel like... I mean, the only big change that's happened with Archer is we were able to find some other great writers who could take over for Adam Reed, but that happened even before the, the Disney move. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and since they've taken over, I still I still feel like, you know, the FX folks are the ones who are overseeing it, you know, in addition to obviously everybody at Floyd County who makes the, who makes Archer. Um, but no, I haven't felt, you know, if something might have gone on behind the scenes, I'm sure things have that I'm completely unaware of, but right. uh, I haven't felt their hand in nudging the show one way or the other, anything like that. That's great. And I just have had a a writing question about your character that I've always wondered because I know there's usually some funny story about different character traits. How did Cyril end up, it's a little adult question here, but how did Cyril end up with a gigantic penis and that becoming a part of like the storylines because it's, it's always interesting when you see these characters and I, I know there has to be some kind of story there. Am I right? Uh, you know, if there is, I've never heard it. Really? I, I imagine it was about, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, to, to me, I imagine it was kind of like, uh, Oh, we should get Cyril a big penis, you know, um, <laughs> that kind of thing. And that would be funny. And, that will make him more of a challenge to Archer, you know. It's like he's got this extra tool in his pocket, so to speak, yeah. and uh, that you know might might make it, might might justify why Lana or somebody else was you know would take a, a, a more of an interest in him. That, that that's just me guessing. I honestly have never been no that privy makes sense. To any sort of that makes sense because he's such the yeah. punchline half the time that it's like, well, he can yeah. he has a trump card. You just 
you hear about it, you never see it. So it's it's exactly. those character things are always are always interesting to me. And then of course something that I once I saw it, I fell down a, a an interdimensional portal watching all the episodes. Rick and Morty. You know, it sounds like such a cliche question, yeah. but when you guys got together with 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 Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland. Did you have a sense that it was going to blow up in the way that it has blown up? Because talk about a cultural phenomenon. I mean, my goodness. I know. I know. Um, the answer is no. I didn't I didn't have an idea. Um, I mean, it, it, the process for it to actually get rolling was so slow. I mean, probably no slower than any animated thing. But, mm -hmm. you know, I felt like... We recorded the pilot quite a while ago, uh, and they had to do some recasting uh, a little bit, and uh, and then we had to record again, and it just but it just took quite a span of time, and then it had to be animated, and uh, yeah, no, you don't know. I mean, the only the only inkling that I had that it was going to be successful was when we just got these fantastic numbers right out of the gate, and which I only knew about because my manager let me know, you know, she's like, you guys did really well, you know, and people are really into it. And then we went to Comic-Con um, that next year and, you know, to see the response there in the room, it was the same with Archer, just seeing how many people love the show uh, and you get to, you know, physically see them with your eyeballs and, mm -hmm. you know, know that it's, it's a real thing. You're not just, not just something you're hearing about, but you can actually see how enthusiastic the fans are and, that's, you know, that's pretty gratifying. Do you have any inkling why it's stuck? I mean, it's it's such an out there show, but it's it's everywhere now. Do you know why people just love it? If you could pinpoint it to one thing. Well, you know, I, th I, th I think it's I think it's the writing, um, which is what it comes down to for most things. But then Justin, you know, I mean, well, then just it's it's a combination of Justin and Dan's sensibilities, I think, that make it what it is. Mm -hmm. Um Justin is just such an amazing uh, voiceover guy and, 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 and improviser and has such great ideas. Um, and then Dan is, uh, and I'm not saying Justin's not, but Dan is so good at story and what things need to happen here and there. And this is just me gleaning it from the, you know, the sessions that they've directed. Um, and, you know, I think they've got this, you got, you know, you got this crazy character, Rick, who's, who's kind of awful, but you know, is, also lovable in his awfulness um, and this relationship with Morty and then and, and the, and the, and the family, you know, the summer and Beth and, and Jerry, which helps ground it a little bit in, you know, in a, it's a family, you know, as weird as it is and as dysfunctional as it is, it's still a family. And so I think that also helps people to connect and have uh, a little bit more of an investment in it. They might, than they might if it were just, you know, just, crazy scientist and his, and his grandson roaming the universe. Um, but it's just, you know, it's just, it's just brilliantly written. I mean, it's just so creative and the stuff they come up with is just out there and they spend so much time, you know, crafting these stories and, you know, making, making sure they're, they're at a certain level, you know, before they, before they send it out. Yeah. I think that makes all the difference. I absolutely agree. And you have done, so many different things. Normally voice actors stay in voice acting. Normally actors, they'll voice as a guest, but it doesn't become a large part of their career. You've done regular film, regular television, sketch comedy, 
voice acting. What what is the hardest form of the art form of acting to you? The hardest. Uh... And why? The most challenging. I don't know. I mean, I think anything on camera is going to be harder than voiceover um, just because you have to worry about what your face is doing and your body's doing. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to worry about that in voiceover, obviously. So that's automatically harder. Um, and then, I, you know, it just depends on the project and it depends on how how comfortable I feel with the people that are leading the project, with the director, with the writing and all of that. And if that's all solid and that's all good and, and, and you feel comfortable with a director who you feel appreciated by and, and, and knows how to direct, um, that, you know, that makes everything obviously so much better. And they can, they add to your performance. You know, they give you directions, notes, ideas and things that can help you take it to someplace you might not have thought of. Um, and then also just, you know, given that almost everything I do is comedy, you know, there's also all this room for, for input and, you know, in dialogue, improvised lines, but lines that are thrown out from the, from uh, video village and, and then, you know, room for me to, you know, come in with some things if I, if I'm able to, to add to it. Um, the hardest thing I think I've ever done acting wise was doing this, this movie, the, the grand, um, that Zach Penn, you know, wrote and directed, even though it was mostly improvised, but, he created the framework for it and everything. And in the sort of climactic scene of the movie, there's this big poker game. And I had to learn to play poker for the movie. I'd never played it before and because they wanted us to. And then even though all the other games and things leading up to the final tournament game were, you know, planned and staged and all that, but the final game was actually a real poker game that we were playing as a cast against each other. Now they had, I found out later they had decks of cards that were already arranged to make it go one way or the other if they needed it to. Um, but they didn't. And oh, wow. I just, I don't know. Just, just, yeah. Trying to play poker for real, which I'm it's poker is something that lives at this intersection of logic and instinct that I just, it's very hard for me to bridge. I just <laughs> like the idea of bluffing and trying to fool people and like, it's so I, I I have no joy in playing poker, so I don't. But um, obviously, I know a lot of people that do. Uh, but doing that on camera, you know, with it with it happening in the moment, and just trying to play as well as I could, because my character was supposed to be a poker genius, um, so that I, you know, I didn't just to support the character, even you know. But I also didn't have a lot of, I also didn't come up with a lot of, you know improvised lines and things during that poker game because I was so focused and so concentrated. So that was, that was very challenging. Every time, whenever I tell that around Zach, he always feels bad, but I was like, <laughs> don't feel bad. I'm just, you know, that's what it was. I love that. Speaking of the voice acting, I guess we'll end, we'll end on, on this topic because it brings it up to today. Have you been able to uh, lock yourself in a closet and do some roles from home? How has uh, your work changed since the pandemic? Well, as soon as it, you know, it became apparent that there was going to be some recording from home going on, um, I got my dad's old mic. He's retired. I, I got his, he had a great microphone. And uh, so I took that. He let me have that. And uh, and I, I just upgraded some things in my little studio. Um, and then we just, my, 
my wife and our two sons just moved back in December, and I decided to go ahead and invest in a real booth, um, you know, more, not really soundproof, but more or less soundproof booth and um, set up everything in there. So that's, uh, I've only actually think done one or two sessions from inside there since we've moved, but uh, it, it's, you know, it's been nice to be able to do it from home, but anytime I'm given the opportunity to go out into a studio and record, I much prefer doing that because, you know, then the engineer can just focus on all the technical stuff and I can just focus on, you know, the performance. Um, and also it's just nice to get out of the house. So, so I assume the most recent season of Archer was filmed before everything began because of the long lead times on the animation. Uh, so uh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're recording season 12 now. Um, but I don't, I don't. I don't remember that the pandemic has factored into that. It might have in one script, but I'm, I don't honestly remember. Right. Um, we're almost. I think we're almost done with recording season twelve. Thank you so much, Chris. I really enjoyed talking with you. It'll be interesting to see. I wanted. I do want to note this was recorded before Jessica Walter passed away, so we didn't get a chance to talk about how that would affect season twelve or maybe even season thirteen if season 12 is in the can of Archer going forward. I know they record well in advance of the air date, so wanted to clarify that for those of you who might be wondering. That is it for us today. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Talk for Two, at Talk for Two Pod on Instagram. You can also email me at T-A-L-K-F-O-R-T-W-O-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. And you can go to T-A-L-K-F-O-R-T-W-O.com. That is our mothership. That is where everything is. You can subscribe at Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Signing off, I'm Matt Bailey, reminding all of you to keep talking for two. You can hear more show business interviews with the stars at talkfor2.com. This is the number one showbiz podcast. It's Talk for Two. Here's your host, Matt Bailey. Thank you, Gary. Welcome back, everybody, to Talk for Two. Really, really excited about our guest today, the voice actor, the the venerable screen actor, Mr. Chris Parnell. I had such fun talking to him months ago. The saga of getting this show back up and running has been really interesting. As you know, we shut down in February because my laptop decided to start to overheat while I was editing things. And then my board gave out, and it took me a little bit of time to replace the board. I had to focus on some other projects, but we are back at it. We talked for two, and I'm so excited to be back with Chris Parnell. This was a really, really, really fun one. I'm really excited. I love everything this man does. I know that he's on Family Guy. Of course, he's the dad on Rick and Morty. He is Cyril on Archer. He's Leo Spichemin on 30 Rock. This man and his voice, it's just, he's just done a million and five things. And I was so thrilled when I found out he was interested in sitting down with me. Again, the interview was a little while ago. I don't really remember exactly what we talked about, but I know we had fun. I remember a lot of laughs. 
and a lot of honesty from Chris on how his career started, how he's ended up where he is, and, and how the roles kind of keep finding him and, and his unique niche. Chris has one of those voices that if it's a Chris Parnell role, you know by the voice. So here now to tell us all about his career, our interview with Chris Parnell. Chris Parnell, one of the most recognizable voices, recognizable actors. How are you, sir? Thank you very much for being here. Thanks for having me, Matt. I'm, I'm well, thanks. Now, I know it's what people may not know, I want to start with your upbringing, is that your father was actually a broadcaster. And given how rich your voice is, the, the apple doesn't uh, fall too far from the tree. Was he one of your inspirations for wanting to get into entertainment? Yeah, I mean, I think he probably was on, you know, on some level, but he was, you know, he was never really an actor. He was mm -hmm. a disc jockey and a, um, you know, music guy and produced commercials and things like that. But he would bring me and my sister in sometimes if he needed uh, a kid in a in a radio commercial or something to, to get us to play the part. So I, I guess that's kind of how it started. But um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't I don't know that. I don't know if there was a direct line from that to me wanting to be an actor, um, mm -hmm. but it was, it, it was, it took a long time even after I was, you know, had a little success as an actor to get into the voiceover side of things. That was, that was actually even harder to break into. Is it something you wanted to break into or is it something you fell into from the success of, of your acting with SNL and some of the other projects that you've done? Oh, no, no. It was definitely something I wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, I uh, it, it wasn't until I got on SNL that I sort of had enough whatever that, you know, it was easy to get signed with a voiceover agent. Um, you know, they're, they're much more likely to listen to a cast member from SNL than they are to just a random actor out there. So that that's kind of what turned it around for me. Going back a little bit to the beginning of your career, I was reading... It was about a year where you, you'd known that you wanted to be an actor for since you were 17. There was about a year where you were disillusioned at it, maybe you thought it was impractical, and went to teach high school for a year. Uh, what was that like, and what did you teach? Well, it was, uh, it was very hard um, being a teacher because I was, I was in my mid-20s. You know, I wasn't. I wasn't ready to be an authority figure at all or pretend to be or try to be, but um, I taught introduction to film and video and introduction to theater. Um, or I guess I don't know if it was introduction to theater or introduction to acting, but they were classes that I had taken at the same school when I had been a student there. Um, and I was working under Frank Bluestein, who had been my mentor and was the one that sort of gave me the confidence or the encouragement and confidence to, to feel like I could, you know, pursue an acting career and uh, maybe make something of it, you know. Mm -hmm. But well, being a teacher was being a teacher was hard. It was uh, it, I was I, I have a lot more respect for teachers. It just takes such a giving, <laughs> generous uh, personality, I think. And uh, and, and I, I think I'm that way with my friends and family. But I, I and, you know, it was. I got to work with the uh, the students who were involved in the theater department and the TV studio there after you know school was over and actually during one of the classes um, called production workshop and so those all of those kids were 
almost all of them were very into it. And they really wanted to be there and they really wanted to be doing the TV stuff and the theater stuff and they cared about it. And so all of that was great because they were just, that's what I had done when I was there. So, so interacting with them and, you know, not having to give them tests or assignments or things like that, that was, it was just more of a supervisory thing, but I loved all of that. So just being a straight up teacher was, was pretty hard. <laughs> oh yeah. I can, I have such respect for teachers. You, you have to juggle a lot of things, but you go back into it, found the success that you found. I want to fast forward to today, all of the voice work that you do. Obviously, SNL was a big part. Like you said, you were allowed to, that gave you name recognition that you wanted to get into it. Why did you want to become a voice actor after having done sketch comedy for so long? Um, well, it's something I, I felt pretty confident that I could do well at, um, and also just, you know, I, I, I also just wanted to do commercials, you know, mm -hmm. um, and that was really how it started was just doing, you know, commercial jobs. Um, and kind of from that, I guess, sprang the, you know, the animation voices and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, and, and that's where I think it does get back to my, my dad and, and him being involved in that side of the business and, uh, you know, wanting, wanting to follow in his footsteps, at least somewhat, you know, in, in that regard. Mm -hmm. well, your voice is very unique. Everybody recognizes it. Everybody recognizes your face too. And I mean that in a great way. You're, you have one of those recognizable rubber faces for comedy with your voice though, specifically being from Memphis, where was your father from? I mean, I, your voice is one in a million. Have you ever kind of tried to, trace the lineage of why it's so rich and, and unique? Well, you know, my, my dad's voice is even richer and more unique. Um, but uh, it's, you know, he, he's from rural Tennessee. He's from, he's from uh, Neboville, actually, was, was the name of the town where he was born. I don't even know if that is officially an incorporated city or not. But um, <laughs> his, my grandparents and even my mom's parents were uh, in and around Milan, Tennessee. But, uh, you know, and so I grew up obviously listening to his voice. He worked really hard to not have a Southern uh, dialect um, so he could sound like a, you know, a real disc jockey who wasn't limited by an accent, you know. And he, he worked on that from very early on. Um, and so as long as I knew him, that, that wasn't a thing. That wasn't an issue. I had to do the same thing when I went to college to theater school to try to get rid of my Southern dialect so that, you know, I wouldn't be limited by it. Mm. Um, but the, the irony, or I know there's an irony, uh, I'm, I'm actually adopted. And uh, so the fact that we both have these voices is just, <laughs> you know, I don't know if it's, it must be some nurture involved there, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I, and I have no idea what, you know, the story of my birth parents are. So, wow. yeah. So interesting. It's so interesting. You know, you are known for not breaking character. They, you are just stone faced all the way during the iconic cowbell sketch. You didn't break. Uh, they, you're known for doing really, really well behind the microphone, not breaking character in your voiceover roles. Tim Conway was like that in a lot of ways. I was reading about you and I, I can compare you to him in, in that way. Is that a learned thing to not break character or is it just innate? Because I'll tell you, when I was an actor, I went to performing arts high school. I was the worst. I thought I'd be able to stay in it, but I mean, everything set me off, no matter how many times we did it. How do you avoid breaking character? 
Well, you know, I, you know, the good side of it is that I guess the most positive way of looking at it is I just I just try to be in the moment as that character, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I'm Daniel Day Lewis by any stretch of the imagination, but I, you know, I I uh, I try to just see it as though that character would see it, and and if I'm breaking, then that means I'm kind of not there in that scene, you know, as that character. Now for Saturday Night Live and for a lot of things, I mean, I I in some ways I wish. I didn't take myself and things quite so seriously and uh, would have sort of had that, that freedom in a way to, 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 to maybe have just a, a little more fun in the moment with that. Not that it wasn't fun. I loved doing it. And I, and I was proud of not breaking, but um, you know, you can tell that Jimmy and Horatio were having a lot of fun. And, um, I, I don't know. It was just, I guess it was a point of pride for me, you know, like I'm not going to break. I'm, I'm an actor. I'm going to stay in the moment and stay in the scene. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take the audience out of it by laughing at it. So yeah. I guess that was my thinking. No, I, I can understand that. You know, my favorite show, I have two favorite shows that you do. It's Archer and Rick and Morty. And I want to start with Archer. Did you audition for that role? Was it offered to you? And, and what did you think about Archer when you, when you heard the premise? Cause it's, it's so unique and, uh, but it works. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, my memory of how it began for me was that I auditioned for a part in the pilot other than Cyril, mm-hmm. um, and didn't get that part. And, um, I, I think it was, you know, it was like a guest star part, um, uh, maybe the uh, Russian interrogator or somebody, or I, I, I don't even remember. But then the way that I remembered anyway is that a, a period of time passed, and then they just came back to me with the offer of Cyril. Um, and, you know, I thought, oh, great, awesome. And they were all actually, you know, paying above scale, which was really nice. I mean, FX, I, I got I to gotta give them a shout-out. They have always treated their cast so well, mm-hmm. um, or at least our, the Archer cast. I mean, just amazing. They've always, they've always been, um, I don't know, just generous. You know, they, they paid us in a way that made us feel like, oh, wow, this thing, we're appreciated here. You know, they're not trying to squeeze every penny out of us they can. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't remember reading the first script, um, but, you know, I liked it. and I thought it was funny. And, um, you know, you, you never in your wildest dreams, it's going to, imagine it's going to go for 12 seasons and hopefully more, you know, but um, that has been the case and I'm so thankful it has. Well, the, it's funny you mention FX and, and how great they are. I have to ask, and you can decline to answer this. Um, when Disney came in and bought up Fox and FX, were there any major changes in terms of how the show was perceived or was Disney really good about letting the adult oriented programming stay adult-oriented programming? As far as I know, it was, the, it was that, is what you just described. I mean, I don't feel like... I mean, the only big change that's happened with Archer is we were able to find some other great writers who could take over for Adam Reed, but that happened even before the, the Disney move. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and since they've taken over, I still, I still feel like, you know, the FX folks are the ones who are overseeing it, you know, in addition to, obviously, everybody at... Floyd County who makes the, who makes Archer. Um, but no, I haven't felt, you know, if something might have gone on behind the scenes, I'm sure things have that I'm completely unaware of, but right. uh, I haven't felt their hand in nudging the show one way or the other, anything like that. That's great. 
and I just have had a, a writing question about your character that I've always wondered because I know there's usually some funny story about different character traits. How did Cyril end up, it's a little adult question here, but how did Cyril end up with a gigantic penis and that becoming a part of like the storylines? Because it's it's always interesting when you see these characters and I, I know there has to be some kind of story there. Am I right? Uh, you know, if there is, I've never heard it. Really? <laughs> I, I imagine it was about, yeah, I mean, I, to, to me, I imagine it was kind of like, uh, oh, we should get Cyril a big penis, you know, um, <laughs> that kind of thing. And that would be funny. And that will make him more of a challenge to Archer. You know, it's like he's got this extra tool in his pocket, so to speak. Yeah. And uh, that, you know, might might make it, might, might justify why Lana or somebody else was, you know, would take a, a, a more of an interest in him. That, that, that's just me guessing. I honestly have never been no, that privy makes sense. to any sort of... That makes sense because he's such the yeah. punchline half the time that it's like, well, he can yeah. he has a trump card. You just you hear about it. You never see it. So it's it's exactly. those character things are always are always interesting to me. And then, of course, something that I once I saw it, I fell down a, a, an interdimensional portal watching all the episodes. Rick and Morty, you know, it sounds like such a cliche question. Yeah. But when you guys got together with, with, with Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland, did you have a sense that it was going to blow up in the way that it has blown up? Because talk about a cultural phenomenon. I mean, my goodness. I know. I know. Um, the answer is no. I didn't, I didn't have an idea. Um, I mean, it, it, the process for it to actually get rolling was so slow. I mean, probably no slower than any animated thing, but, mm -hmm. you know, I felt like we recorded the pilot quite a while ago, uh, and they had to do some recasting uh, a little bit, and uh, and then we had to record again, and it just, but it just took quite a span of time, and then it had to be animated, and, uh, yeah, no, you don't know. I mean, the only, the only inkling that I had that it was going to be successful was when we just got these fantastic numbers right out of the gates and which I only knew about because my manager let me know, you know, she's like, you, you guys did really well, you know, and people are really into it. And then we went to Comic-Con um, that next year and, you know, to see the response there in the room, it was the same with Archer, just seeing how many people love the show uh, and you get to, you know, physically see them with your eyeballs and, Mm -hmm. you know, know that it's, it's a real thing. You're not just, not just something you're hearing about, but you can actually see how enthusiastic the fans are. And that's, you know, that's pretty gratifying. Do you have any inkling why it's stuck? I mean, it's, it's such an out there show, but it's, it's everywhere now. Do you know why people just love it? If you could pinpoint it to one thing? Well, you know, I, th I think, I think it's, I think it's the writing, um, which is what, it comes down to for most things, but then Justin, you know, I mean, well, then just it's, it's a combination of Justin and Dan's sensibilities, I think that make it what it is. Mm -hmm. um, Justin is just such an amazing uh, voiceover guy and, 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 and improviser and has such great ideas. Um, and then Dan is, uh, and I'm not saying Justin's not, but Dan is so good at story and what things need to happen here and there. And this is just me gleaning it from the, you know, the sessions that they've directed. Um, and, you know, I think they've got this, you got, you know, you got this crazy character, Rick, who's, who's kind of awful, but, you know, is also 
lovable in his awfulness um, and this relationship with Morty and then and, and in the, in the family, you know, this summer and Beth and, and Jerry, which helps ground it a little bit in, you know, in a, it's a family, you know, as weird as it is and as dysfunctional as it is, it's still a family. And so I think that also helps people to connect and have uh, a little bit more of an investment in it. They might, then they might, if we were just, you know, this crazy scientist and his, and his grandson roaming the universe. Um, but it's just, you know, it's just, it's just brilliantly written. I mean, it's just so creative and the stuff they come up with is just out there and they spend so much time, you know, crafting these stories and, you know, making, making sure they're, they're at a certain level, you know, before they, before they send it out. Yeah. I think that makes all the difference. I absolutely agree. And you have done so many different things. Normally voice actors stay in voice acting. Normally actors, they'll voice as a guest, but it doesn't become a large part of their career. You've done regular film, regular television, sketch comedy, voice acting. What What is the hardest form of the art form of acting to you? The hardest. Uh... And why? The most challenging. I don't know. I mean, I think anything on camera is going to be harder than voiceover um, just because you have to worry about what your face is doing and your body's doing. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to worry about that in voiceover, obviously. So that's automatically harder. Um, and then I, you know, it just depends on the project and it depends on how, how comfortable I feel with the people that are leading the project with the director, with the writing and all of that. And if that's all solid and that's all good and, and, and you feel comfortable with a director who you feel appreciated by and, and, and knows how to direct um, that, you know, that makes everything obviously so much better. And they can, they add to your performance. You know, they give you directions, notes, ideas and things that can help you take it to someplace you might not have thought of. Um, and then also just, you know, given that almost everything I do is comedy, you know, there's also all this room for, for input and, you know, in dialogue, improvised lines, but lines that are thrown out from the, from uh, video village and, and then, you know, room for me to, you know, come in with some things if I, if I'm able to, to add to it. Um, the hardest thing I think I've ever done acting wise was doing this, this movie, the, the grand, um, that Zach Penn, you know, wrote and directed, even though it was mostly improvised, but he created the framework for it and everything. And in the sort of climactic scene of the movie, there's this big poker game and, I had to learn to play poker for the movie. I'd never played it before and because they wanted us to. And then even though all the other games and things leading up to the final tournament game were, you know, planned and staged and all that, but the final game was actually a real poker game that we were playing as a cast against each other. Now they had, I found out later, they had decks of cards that were already arranged to make it go one way or the other if they needed it to. Um, but they didn't, and oh wow! I just I don't know, just just yeah, trying to play poker for real, which I'm. It's poker is something that lives at this intersection of logic and instinct that I just it's very hard for me to bridge. I just <laughs> like the idea of bluffing and trying to fool people, and like I, it's so I I, I have no jo joy in playing poker, so I don't. But um, obviously, I know a lot of people that do. Uh, but doing that on camera. 
you know, with it, with it happening in the moment and just trying to play as well as I could, because my character was supposed to be a poker genius. Um, so that I, you know, I didn't just to support the character even, you know, but I also didn't have a lot of, I also didn't come up with a lot of, you know, improvised lines and things during that poker game because I was so focused and so concentrated. So that was, that was very challenging. Every time, whenever I tell that around Zach, he always feels bad, but I was like, <laughs> don't feel bad. I'm just, you know, that's what it was. I love that. Speaking of the voice acting, I guess we'll end, we'll end on, on this topic because it brings it up to today. Have you been able to uh, lock yourself in a closet and do some roles from home? How has uh, your work changed since the pandemic? Well, as soon as it, you know, it became apparent that there was going to be some recording from home going on. Um, I got my dad's old mic. He's retired. I, I got his, he had a great microphone. And uh, so I took that. He let me have that. And, uh, and I, I just upgraded some things in my little studio. Um, and then we just, my, my wife and our two sons just moved back in December. And I decided to go ahead and invest in a real booth, um, you know, more, not really soundproof, but more or less soundproof booth and um, set up everything in there. So that's, uh, I've only actually think done one or two sessions from inside there since we've moved, but uh, it's, you know, it's been nice to be able to do it from home, but anytime I'm given the opportunity to go out into a studio and record, I much prefer doing that because, you know, then the engineer can just focus on all the technical stuff and I can just focus on, you know, the performance. Um, and also it's just nice to get out of the house. So. so I assume the most recent season of Archer was filmed before everything began because of the long lead times on the animation. Uh, so uh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're recording season 12 now. Um, but I don't, I don't. I don't remember that the pandemic has factored into that. It might have in one script, but I'm, I don't honestly remember. Right. Um, we're almost. I think we're almost done with recording season twelve. Thank you so much, Chris. I really enjoyed talking with you. It'll be interesting to see. I wanted. I do want to note this was recorded before Jessica Walter passed away, so we didn't get a chance to talk about how that would affect season twelve or maybe even season thirteen if season 12 is in the can of Archer going forward. I know they record well in advance of the air date, so wanted to clarify that for those of you who might be wondering. That is it for us today. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Talk for Two, at Talk for Two Pod on Instagram. You can also email me at T-A-L-K-F-O-R-T-W-O-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. And you can go to T-A-L-K-F-O-R-T-W-O.com. That is our mothership. That is where everything is. You can subscribe at Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Signing off, I'm Matt Bailey, reminding all of you to keep talking for two. You can hear more show business interviews with the stars at talkfor2.com.